Today we are continuing a series that started last week. It's a two-part series called Meet the New You. And it is based on Romans chapter 6, Paul's letter to the Romans. And last week we learned that when we are baptized and we accept Jesus Christ in our life, when we open our hearts to the Holy Spirit, we are baptized by the Holy Spirit, we are brought from death to life. And it's not because of anything that we've done. There's nothing that we can do that can earn our acceptance of God or our love of God so that we can earn this new life that we have. And then I was actually not here. I was on vacation last week. So instead of attending and hearing the sermon here, I listened to it online. I listened to it through my phone on my car stereo. And I was driving, I was listening to Jason's great sermon. And there was this one charge he gave to the congregation, everyone. He said... This week, every single day, I want you to look in the mirror. Do you remember this? Every day, I want you to look into the mirror, and I want you to say these words. I am alive in Christ. And as I was driving, I decided to do it. To actually spend, spend five seconds every day to look in the mirror and say, I am alive in Christ. I, I, I understood why it was important for me to do this. To understand that it's not, I am alive in Christ or I was alive in Christ, or I will be alive in Christ. It's, I am currently alive in Christ. It's powerful. But I didn't do it. As much as I intended to do it, I didn't do it. I, I went through the day, and then I went through the next day, and the next day, and every day was kind of normal, like uh, every, uh, every other day. And, and I got all the way back to today thinking how I hadn't done that simple thing that I had committed myself and decided that I was going to do regardless. And then I read on to the second half of chapter 6 in Romans. And I realized that Paul knew that we are like this. Paul had seen it a million times before. He had seen all the people who would make the grand commitments to Jesus Christ, who had made, decided that they were going to live their life in a new way, and then they slip. And then they do things that they don't want to do, as Paul says, right? Doing Doing things that they don't want to do. So let's read further in chapter 6 before there's any... I can see some of you are falling off the edge of your seat in, in suspense about what this says. So let's, let's get through it. The verse says, Therefore, do not let sin exercise dominion over your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin... As instruments of wickedness. But present yourselves to God. As those who have been brought from death to life. And present your members to God. Your hands, that's your members. Your feet, your eyes, your ears. All the things you use in life. Present your members to God. As instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are under the law, sorry, since you are not under the law, but under grace. So what then? Should we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? And this is where I think everybody here needs to just shout. Are you ready? Okay, on three, I want you to read those three words by no means. One, two, three. That's good. 
Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as an obedient slave, that you are a slave of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, having been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. And that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members, your hands, your feet, everything, as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity, So, now, present your members as slaves to righteousness for sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So, what advantage did you then get from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We all sin. We're all broken. And, and, and if you're ever finding yourself grappling with sin and struggling with sin, I don't think there's any better place to turn than the book of Romans, which is written to a Roman church, a church in Rome. And that church happened to have been born or planted during confusing moral times. And you're thinking, so what? What's different? Every church, you're right, has been born into confusing moral times. There's no, nothing different about the church in Rome in that it was born into confusing moral times. And Paul is speaking to this Roman church. And he is telling them and reminding them that the, the punishments or consequences of sin are death. He doesn't leave any gray room for sin, by the way. If there seems to be any question about whether there's a little sin or a big sin, Paul makes it pretty clear. There's just one kind of sin, and that sin always leads toward death. The Roman church that Paul was writing to was unique, though, among all of the other churches that he wrote to, in that many of the people that attended the Roman church were citizens of Rome. And they experienced freedoms because they were citizens of Rome that none of the other churches would have really experienced. Back in the day, if you were a citizen of Rome, your passport would have been more powerful in some ways than a U.S. passport if you traveled around the world today. That the Roman law trumped all other laws, and it allowed the Roman citizens to do things that other people who were not Roman citizens were not allowed to do. It had freedoms involved in it that the Romans could only participate in. And what Paul is saying 
is that sometimes those freedoms which are given to us and dangled in front of us as freedoms are actually slaveries in disguise. That sometimes the freedoms that we are given and the freedoms that, we're, that, that, that are said, this is a freedom. Aren't you excited to have this new freedom? And then we engage in that freedom and we discover that that freedom given to us by whatever's not God, a state or something else, is actually slavery in disguise. Now, I think about the first time that I saw a freedom that I really wanted when I was a kid. And the first freedom that I really wanted was to mow the lawn. I saw that lawnmower as the coolest thing that I could, could ever exist. And my brother pushed it. He's five years older than me. And he went out and pushed that lawnmower. And sometimes he would give me these little clippers that I could go alongside and clip the grass. Have you ever seen these things? They're ridiculous. They're actually, I think it's how some people actually mow the lawn. It's, it's sad. Just little squeeze the thing and it just clips along the ground. And then, as if to give me some hope, <laughs> he would let me hold the, the middle rung on the lawnmower. Have you ever seen a kid do this? So the person behind and them, it's like a little kid height. This is probably not recommended on the lawnmower instructions. Put your child right in the middle of <coughs> between you and the blade. Giving me the illusion that I had control. And then... I finally got the freedom to mow the lawn, and I discovered 10 minutes later that it was a complete slavery. <laughs> you ever experienced anything like that? You're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. And then I got to college. Talk about a land of freedom. Oh, my. The minute I got to college, I, well, not the minute, but a couple days into college, I went down to the mailroom at Trinity College in Connecticut. I remember the staircase. I went down the staircase, and there was a table set up there with free stuff on it. You could get a free hat and a free water bottle and a free t-shirt. And the person behind it was saying, all this can be yours for free if... Does anybody guess what's going what's to be? Yes. If you sign up for this credit card. Oh, such freedom, they told me. Your name would be embossed on the credit card and you'd be an adult for the first time ever. You could go and buy anything. You could get online and you could buy things. And you would have true freedom in your life. And I was so excited about this freedom that the world was telling me, this is what you got to have. This is the freedom that's going to make you whole, happy. And of course, I don't even need to finish this story because you know what happens. Delayed payments, discovering that it didn't help my credit. It actually made it worse. And, and I was actually under the slavery of debt, which I know a lot of you have experienced. Either with the purchase of that car that seemed like it would so free you from everything else because it was just so nice. Had that... The S-L-R-X-Q-R-P-T-F-N had the leather interior and the skylight and jet propulsion. And it was made by Fisk, right? Elon Fisk. And then, later on, in college, I was at a party late at night when my inhibitions were low. And someone said, would you like a cigarette? And I thought to myself, why not? It's allowed by the government. It's allowed by the state. I am legally allowed to smoke cigarettes. I'm a free person. And if I don't exercise that freedom, which is available to me, in some way, I'm going to be diminishing my ability to live a full and free life. And look how, I mean, smokers, don't they just look like they're having more fun than everybody else? They, they go outside, they chat, they have coffee, they do all this thing, deep breathing exercises. They're happier people. We know it, right? They are so free. Don't, they, don't smokers just seem like the most free people that you've ever met in your life? They do. And then 
I became a social smoker. Has anybody ever been a social smoker before? And, and, and if you're still a social smoker, I'm not diminishing, but I called myself a social smoker and I was not a social smoker. I'd be like, yeah, I just smoke on the weekends. There's no power over me. And then sure enough, I discover that uh, I can't quit. I have to go to those social gatherings just so I can smoke. And I was such a mooch. It turned me into mooch. Oh, it was horrible, you know, especially when you're denying that you smoke, you end up just borrowing cigarettes from everyone. And then I tried to quit and I tried to quit and I tried to quit. I tried to quit 11 times and I don't even know. I'm just making up a number, but I'm sure it was at least 11 times. It was nine years later after lots of social smoking. And I was having a little hard time breathing every now and then. And I could see where this was going to lead. And I, what frustrated me even more was that I knew for a fact that I was being controlled by something other than God. I was being un- controlled by a substance. I was being controlled by an addiction to a substance. That something had power over me and I knew it. I couldn't break free from it. I was enslaved to the very thing that had been dangled in front of me as a freedom. And then I remember one night I was in my parents' backyard and I was playing guitar and I was smoking a cigarette. And I had had enough and I hated it. I'd come to the place where I had hated that thing. And I hated what it did to me and I hated the way I was being moved around this earth by it, moving to a convenience store, being moved to pick up and buy things, moved to, it was moving me around. And then I took the cigarette and I pressed it into the guitar and I smelled the burning, the burning um, lacquer on the outside of the guitar. And I burned, and then it went into the wood and I burned the shape of a cross and I prayed, Lord, would you free, from, free me from this thing? And would you help me to understand the cost of the freedom that I am receiving from you? That it's a real cost. And help me to understand what this is doing to my body and to my soul and to my life. This thing that I've become enslaved to. Now, why am I telling you this story? I'm telling you this story to bring glory to God. I'm telling you this story, by no means do I have all the answers, but I'm telling you this story to emphasize that through the course of my life and through my struggle with sin, I have discovered that one, the Bible is right, and I wish I had listened to it all along, and and, and I had that kind of enlightenment, or at least I had someone talking. I had people telling me smoking was bad and not to do it my whole entire life, right? It's not like like the first time someone told me smoking was bad was when I was 29 years old. I knew it from when I was a small child. But also to emphasize that the consequences for sin is death is real. And we all have those images of the smoker dying of lung disease. But what we're talking about is so much deeper than even cigarettes because there's a lot of people who are Christian, who have faithfully served God and have never broken free of the addiction of cigarettes Because it truly is a miracle when you have God's power come into your life and you suddenly have the power to resist the temptation that has had control over you for so long. What we're talking about is our spiritual salvation. We're talking about the question of who is the Lord of our lives? Who are we enslaved to? 
And Paul is saying that there are a lot of freedoms that will be cast in front of us in our lives. But first, I want to ask you, what is the thing that you have been enslaved to in your life? Because it's easy to think about the things that other people have been enslaved to or have been held captive to. But what are the things that you have been held captive to in your life? And can you think about how God has rescued you from the death and into life? Think about maybe the different kinds of captivity that exist and think about whether they apply to you in any way. Have you ever been held captive by a sexual addiction or an addiction to pornography or an addiction to a chemical substance? Have you ever been held captive by the need to be loved by other people? Have you ever been held captive by a search for fame or a search for wealth? Or maybe it's a dream that you had of a person that you wanted to be someday and that has held you captive for so long. Maybe it's a friend or a lover or an enemy. Maybe it's maybe you're being held captive by not granting forgiveness to somebody else. By not forgiving them. Maybe you're being held captive by an old hurt. And I'm telling you, I have a lot of this stuff. And it's heavy stuff. And it's bigger than me. And it's bigger than you. So when you admit and we talk about this stuff together. And you tell me that you're having troubles with this stuff. I know that you're dealing with stuff that is heavy, heavy stuff. But what this scripture tells us. The beauty of the scripture is that God is greater than all of that. That God can overcome all of your addictions. And you've even seen it with alcoholics who've had genetic predisposition toward addictions toward alcohol, right? And through the power of God, they will tell you yet time and time again, they are being rescued from this captivity that has grabbed a hold of their life and has wounded them time and time again. The main character in this conversation is God. The main event is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are told that we do not have to be perfect. And that we are told through the scripture that it's kind of confusing. You say, well, why is sin still in my life if I have been baptized and I have accepted Jesus in, into my life? I remember a pastor one time had a member come up to him after, after worship in his, in his congregation. And he'd known the member for a long time. He was a really good guy. And the member said, you know, you know pastor, I decided that I'm going to become a Christian today. And the pastor said, I really wouldn't recommend it. And the member said, what? And he said, you know, you think it's going to make your life a lot better. But it's really not. You're going to go through a lot of struggle. You're going to discover that a lot of things that you loved before are things that are not to be loved. You're going to discover a lot of the freedoms that you thought were free before are not really freedoms. You're going to discover that life is not as easy as, 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 as just going along with the flow. I'm sure you said it in a more pastoral way than that. But the point is, Either way, you are going to have be surrounded by sin in your life. The question is, are you going to embrace that sin? 
Embrace those things, those freedoms in disguise. Or sorry, those slaveries in disguise as freedom. Are you going to embrace those? Or are you going to reject them? Are you going to turn away from them? And even when you find yourself succumbing to temptation, hating the fact that you are succumbing to that temptation, and knowing that you want to choose something else and that you want Jesus Christ, that's the difference. That you are choosing God over all of those things. And it's in those moments of weakness when you realize that you need God. It's in those moments of weakness when you realize you are not God and you do not have power over all things in this universe and that there is a spiritual warfare, as some people would say, going on in this world. Yet God is prevenient. He is over all of that. And that God's grace welcomes us regardless of the number of times that even though I was raised as a Christian and I had accepted Christ long before I had turned away from him, that he still grabs me and turns me around. He, he helps me to come into life, despite the fact that I keep choosing the death trajectory. There's one exercise I want to ask you to do. One is there's a mirror at the back that you're welcome to do. I think I don't, you may not be comfortable doing it at that mirror, but I do want you to, I want to encourage those of you who have not had a chance to, to follow Jason's exercise of saying in the mirror, I am loved. No, sorry. What is it? I'm alive. I'm going to mess it up. (laughs) This is like playing telephone. I am alive in Christ. And the second one is to hold out your hands and to listen to the words of Paul. And so so just if you feel like comfortable, you can just lay them on your lap. This is like, there's different styles. You could lay it on your lap. You could put it up like this. You could kind of do halfway or you could put them right up in the air. But whatever you want and don't, no one's looking at you. But, But Paul said this. Therefore, do not let sin have dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present these members. No longer present these hands to sin as instruments of wickedness. But present your whole selves to God. And present your members to God as instruments of righteousness now and forevermore. Amen. Lord, we do pray that you would help us experience the miracle again of your resurrection and your power over all evil and over all death your power over all sin and all hurt and all brokenness and all pain. Lord, help us to experience true freedom which can only come from you and through you. Help us to have faith in you and have faith in the power of your Holy Spirit to transform our hearts and to move us out into a world as your hands and your feet. And as the scripture says, Lord, help us to experience sanctification. Help us to experience a life of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Help us to truly experience and come in contact with your grace and your love. We pray all this in Jesus' name.